You're listening to the Open Court Podcast with Jay Young, Bob Huesler, and Joe DeSantis. An all-access pass to Fairfield University men's basketball. We welcome you to Open Court with Jay Young, your podcast place for Fairfield basketball, along with the coach. I'm Bob Huesler, joined by my broadcast partner, the Fairfield Hall of Famer, Joe DeSantis. We're going to review this past season and talk about what is already a very busy offseason for the Stags. But first, we want to take a moment to remember one of the great players in Fairfield history, truly one of the great people to come through the Stags program. We received word earlier this month of the passing of Greg Francis, a Fairfield Hall of Famer who played for the Stags from 1993 through 1997. Greg was one of the all-time leading scorers in Stags history. He was the first prolific three-point shooter in the history of the program. And to honor Greg's memory, we caught up with the coach responsible for bringing him to Fairfield. Paul Cormier was the head coach at Dartmouth before becoming the head coach of the Stags. And Paul actually had been recruiting Greg with the idea of bringing him to Dartmouth. But when Paul got the Fairfield job, he was able to convince Greg to follow him a little farther south. As I get to know the coach at Oakwood Collegiate, where, um, where Greg went to school, and I really admired him as a coach. He was, a, he was an excellent coach. He um, really was, and I, don't, I mean this the right way, he was Americanized in that kids understood a lot of the terminology that's used at the U.S. at that time. Now it's totally different. So anyway, back then, though, um, Greg was uh, an elite as far as a um, good athlete. He, I'd like to take credit for proving that saying he was a great shooter or we made him into a great shooter. Absolutely false. He was a very good shooter. Um, and I, the only thing that I think that we probably uh, noticed about him that um, he was a little bit um, gun shy, meaning he, he wanted to almost include his team too much. Um, and I like that. I like a kid who, you know, he probably could have gone out and doubled what he was scoring. I, I'm not exactly sure what he averaged, but let's say it was he averaged 15. He easily could have averaged 30, you know, in, in the environment that he was playing in. The other thing is he was a, a kid who didn't say much, but he did his work between the lines. You know, off the lines, he couldn't have been a nicer and, and almost a passive type of personality. To all, when you cross the line, then he became the competitor that every coach wants to have one. This kid wanted to be, that was going to be a success story. And I, uh, being part of it was going to be a joy for whoever was able to land him, of which we got lucky and we did. And once Greg settled in at Fairfield, Paul knew he had himself a team player. You look in the stat sheet, he's got steals, he's got deflection, he's got rebounds, he's got a high shooting percentage. Um, and he's an, assist, he's an assist guy. So every coach would want to have someone like him who's not going to go around boasting or trying to worry about his own stats. He wanted to win. He wanted to include his teammates in the win. And, you know, I, I call him not a silent assassin. I call him, he's a silent leader. He leads, and mm-hmm. he leads, in, by example, on the way he practices, on the way he prepares. Now get a load of this. Actually prepare for practice. He would be early. He would do stretches on himself. I'm not saying being prepared for games. I'm saying being prepared for practice. And that's, that's something that should be emphasized because that's who he was. And that's, 
that that's the thing that makes him unique to any kid I've ever coached. And with Francis leading the way by hitting a then Fairfield record eight three-pointers, Cormier Staggs almost became the first number 16 seed to beat a number one seed when Fairfield faced Vince Carter, Antoine Jamison, and the North Carolina Tar Heels. It was an NCAA tournament game played on March 13, 1997. Cormier asked Greg to go into attack mode, and Greg did just that. It was time to maybe take that shot with um, someone contesting the shot a little bit more where in a, in a different scenario, he might have made that extra pass. He knew maybe tonight I shouldn't be making that extra pass because we might not get one, you know, with their length and their athleticism and so forth. We might not get a better one. So um, I'm going to start. This is a good shot for me today. Sure enough, I mean, he was possessed. And what it did show me, though, is the way the game started is they took us for granted a little bit because um, if you had watched Greg shoot, you might not think of him as a huge high scorer, but it was because he gave up a good shot to get great shots. So they weren't closing out at him like he was as good a shooter as he really was. So in that preparation, they missed some games because there were some games he, he had to do that. They weren't ready for him at the beginning, but come halftime, that was it. And then we finally pushed them into playing zone because we were slicing them up pretty good. Um, and that's probably their best move. This team, and, and with Greg as the leader, diced and sliced them up so that we were cutting and they were, they were either getting a backdoor layup or he was going to be open for a three and we could have won that game. Greg would go on to become a major figure in Canadian basketball. He played in the Olympics for the national team. He coached the junior national team for six years. He coached at the university level and mentored many of the greatest players Canada has ever produced. A very public figure who, in typical Greg Francis fashion, kept some things very private. You know what? You know what? It, 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 I think this sums it up, um, the type of kid he was. You know, we we would talk. I probably talked to him. I probably haven't talked to him in six months prior to this. And you know, I've I've gone up to Canada when I was uh, scouting with the pros, and we'd go out to dinner. You know, he'd meet me at Toronto, the Toronto game, and he knew all the players and all that stuff. You know, so during those ten ten years when I did a lot of advanced scouting, I saw him quite often. Up and and then when I went back to Dartmouth for my second tenure there before I um, retired, um, I didn't see him as much. But we kept in touch. I never knew Bob that he had MS. He, he didn't want people feeling sorry for him. He didn't want, um, you know, I feel I was close enough to him where I would have found this out if he had wanted me to, you know. But he, like you said, he's, he doesn't want anybody to think of him as a person who has MS. He just wants to go through life, you know, and just do what he does and teach and be a mentor. But I never knew he had MS. And I, that, why would, why would I want to bother Coach Cormier with that? You know, as opposed to, you know, I would have liked, liked to have known or, you know, is there a way I can help? But, um, that's him, you know. He he doesn't want people worrying about him. He doesn't, you know. He doesn't want to be a burden. He's, you know, it's just so sad because he. It's it's really something I'm really wrestling with. To be very honest, with you. there's nothing negative about 
about knowing Greg Francis or anything that anybody who really knows him and has had the, the been blessed enough to have him in their lives. No, there's there's nothing negative. He's a special human being. He's in a very, you know, I'm a I believe in the afterlife and there's a Lord. He's 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 there. He's there. Our heartfelt thanks to Paul Cormier, who took time out of a family vacation to share his thoughts about one of the great players and one of the truly special people to come through the Fairfield program. Greg Francis passed away on Sunday, April 2nd, a few days shy of his 49th birthday. And Jay, I know you speak for the entire Fairfield basketball family in offering your condolences on the passing of a very special Fairfield stag. Yeah, I do. Very uh, sad day when I heard the news about Greg. And uh, I had an opportunity to, to, uh, to speak with Greg on several occasions way before I came to Fairfield, even when I was an assistant at Stony Brook. I would always reach out to him about Canadian prospects and just a really good man. Uh, obviously, when I came here, uh, got to know him a little better. And, uh, you know, again, I'm, you're right, a, a sad day in the condol- our condolences as a uh, – as a basketball program goes out to Greg and his family. Bob, I, I did not get to really know Greg that well when he was here at Fairfield. I was out and about in the Big East coaching. But listening to – first of all, it was great to hear from Paul. Uh, listening to Paul's comments, and you, you worked with me now 16 years on broadcast, I always talk about how good players and good people make themselves better. Great players, great people make others better. Sounds like he was really, really a great individual on and off the court. He really was. Uh, I had the privilege of broadcasting almost every one of his games, and uh, it sounds almost cliche-ridden when you say he was as good a person as he was a player. But believe me, anybody who knew him can back me up when I say he absolutely uh, filled that uh, description. Well, we're going to approach uh, this season finale podcast by covering – One, the season that just concluded. Uh, Two, the portal. Uh, Three, recruiting. Four, the returning players. Five, the schedule. That's a lot to cover in a relatively short period of time. So let's talk about this uh, season that ended a little over a month ago, Jay. 13 and 18, 9 and 11 in the MAC. Uh, It's a season that felt short of expectations. So when you, now with the passage of time, you have some perspective on the things that uh, prevented you from reaching the goals that you set out at the beginning of the season. What are the most notable things that you now look back on and say, okay, this didn't happen and this went wrong and, you know, and why? Yeah, I think, you know, the difference between us being 18 and 13 rather than 13 and 18 was really our inability to kind of win some of those close games that we were in. Um, you know, uh, it's it's not one thing that, that you point your finger on and said, you know, we, we just didn't make free throws or we didn't defend or we didn't, you know, uh, play well on offense. It's kind of a combination of those things. And, you know, we just weren't good enough in in those moments uh, that I felt, you know, really could have t- turned the tide on your season, a couple wins uh, here or there. So uh, I it, it's just not one thing, Bob. It's, you know, I, I've already started watching some film of our games and gone back and, you know, in some moments, in tight games, we need to be better defensively. We weren't. Some we need to be better offensively. We weren't. We just the inconsistency of our team throughout the year, I guess, was the biggest issue that we need more consistent play. And uh, yeah, it was disappointing because I, 
like everybody else, we all went into the year with with really good ex- high expectations about this season that we didn't meet. So anytime that happens, you go back and and it's on me. And uh, it's a good time for us to recalibrate recalib- and and look at those type of things and and fix them. Well, let's look at it uh, from the two very uh, clear-cut aspects of basketball, offense and defense. You averaged a little more than 64 points a game. As you look toward next season, what is a realistic number that you can hit offensively, and what do you need to do in order to maybe get more toward whatever your goal is here that you're going to tell us about? Yeah, you know, the obvious thing is we just shot the ball so poorly this season you know uh, we won the worst shoot three-point shooting teams in the country uh if you had told me that before the year i would have told you you were crazy because uh you know the guys that we had coming back and and some of our additions so we're gonna have to shoot the ball uh much better to get around that 70 point mark that's always been where we want to be and and uh, you probably know the numbers better than i do when we score 70 points we're usually pretty tough to beat so I thought we would be up around that and our inability to shoot the ball uh, from three, you know, uh, caused us not to get the 70 points. So, we, so that's the obvious thing. We're going to have to shoot the ball much better than we did. Um, and, you know, we we just – it all coincides. We got to score more baskets, with, you know, because we don't make a lot of shots. Our field goals were down. We got to the free throw line a lot, which was good. But, you know, we're just going to have to really improve on our perimeter shooting if we want to get up around that 70-point mark. Yeah, I know uh, right now you're in the middle, the thick of things with that transfer portal, having to replace a lot of guys, so maybe this is not a valid question. But other than us always talking about you playing zone, is there one thing that you think you're going to do differently from a structural standpoint? And I'm not talking about get the guys in the gym to shoot. Are you going to play differently at any level? You know, Is there something that, that you sit with your staff and you say, we got to do a better job of this? Yeah, there's a lot of things we talk about every year, and and you know pace is something we continue to to struggle with. Um, that I just want to play a little faster and play earlier in the shot clock uh, with some stuff. We just get to the middle of late shot clock, and you know this isn't me analytically. Your worst shot's going to come the longer you play in the shot clock. So you know we've we've have not done a good job of addressing that. We've played a little faster since we've been here. Some of that has been personnel related you know, about us trying to control the game and keep the scores, you know, around where we think we can win the game. So there's that fine line. You don't want to play too fast. But I think, you know, um, in order for us to get to that 70-point mark, which is kind of that number we always talk about, pace is certainly something that we've, we're going to have to take a, a, a real look at. Now, I haven't coached um, in 16 years, and I know the game changes almost overnight. A lot of teams run the same type of motion uh, starting out with a lot of handoffs, handoff, handoff, ball screen, back screen, slip screen. Are you looking maybe to do more of, um, you know, and I always talk about my broad- broadcast because Fred Barakat, we used to play this way. He always used to say the teams that are harder to guard are the ones that guard you the length and the width. So are you going to change your style and to push the ball, reverse the ball, and attack rather than go into this America's offense that you see everybody do? Yeah, I mean, we we never tell them not to attack. I mean, it's not like we have a brought him in and said let's let's not do this it's really personnel driven and you know our opportunities to get up the floor with some speed you know um we we've got to address some of our speed issues through recruiting here um and get some guys who can move a little faster up the floor uh but you know we're 
I go back and we've looked at all our tapes. I, I think for the most part, we take pretty good shots, you know, and um, we I'd like to take them a little early in the shot clock and, and play to our advantages there. But, but you know, we'll look to do like we do every year. It's We haven't done it yet, but, uh, you know, just kind of evaluate offensively and defensively during the summer, spend a lot of time on whatever our plan is to improve in those areas. One more question on addressing the offensive side of the ball. If at this time next year we were sitting here talking to you about a Fairfield team that didn't come reasonably close to hitting that number you keep talking about, 70 points per game, how disappointed would you be? Yeah, be disappointed. Yeah, we've we've got to play up around that or we're going to have to flip the other side of the ball where we're so good defensively that we, you know, we just haven't been able to do that. So we've been good defensively, not great. We've had moments of that. Um so we're going to have to play around that 70 mark. That's something that we've always talked about. I thought we'd get there this year. And, you know, part of me is uh, if we shot the ball at a, you know, normal rate, we would have been up around there. We just could not make any threes. Um, so, you know, it's something that, like I said, we're looking at. Here's the uh, question you know is coming because we hear it a lot from fans. You want to get great defensively you said sometimes you were pretty good but you weren't great defensively the man-to-man versus zone uh, issue let's not call it an argument issue you are a man-to-man coach that's that's your philosophy and you seem uh, you know very committed to that is it possible that maybe there's some flexibility there just you know because I know we get asked about it a lot and I'm sure you do too yeah I mean there's always flexibility I i, I play whatever defense that I think gives us the best opportunity to win. And that's what we work on the most time. And, uh, you know, we play probably more zone this year than we did ever uh, in in the past. And it helped us in some situations and didn't help us. But, you know, I get, you know, if, if you look at uh, most of the su- successful teams, not all of them, but most of the, they're primarily one defensive team. You know, I was in the big 10 Michigan state hasn't played a possession of zone in the last probably 25 years. I mean, so there are teams who are very successful doing that. There's also very teams, teams that are successful playing zone too. Uh, you got to be good at something. Uh, we've, we've, like I said, we've made improvements. We had a good stretch this year where we were, I think, leading the league in, in, um, points per game and, and, uh, defensive efficiency. And then, you know, Chris's injury, I thought really hurt us with some of that stuff. And we went out, we slipped a little bit, but you know, uh, there are a hundred ways to win. Teams win playing all man-to-man. Teams play winning, uh, playing all zone. So I'm going to put us in the – my job is to put us in the best position to do that. So, uh, you know, that's what I'm going to continue to do. You mentioned uh, Chris's injury, and that's a nice uh, way for us to transition into um, the next topic to address here, which is the uh, the transfer portal. Uh, when it opened, Fairfield took a hit. Chris – Chris being uh, Chris Mido, T.J. Long, Makai Willis, Alan Jean Rose all uh, entered the portal. Now, Long's already found his new school. He'll be at Vermont. Uh, you're not – none of us are sure about where the other three are headed. But before talking about them individually, let's talk about it collectively because collectively you've never had to deal with a hit like this in terms of uh, Fairfield players uh, leaving for the portal. So um, how – did you react to that? And, you know, where do you go from here in terms of, okay, this happened. Now we have to go do this. 
Yeah, you know, the portal's only been around for a couple of years, so we, we kind of avoided it the first year. And then, you know, I knew we weren't going to be immune to it because no one is. Um, if you had told me four, I probably thought that was a little high for us, but I'm, I wasn't shocked. I wasn't surprised. Um, you know, we're coming off a 13 and 18 season. That's got something to do with it. But this is the new reality of college basketball right now. Um, there's 1,300 names in the portal by May 11th, when the portal window closes, it'll be over 1,500 names. You're talking, you know, probably close to a third of college basketball is going to be in the portal. So this is the new era that we're living in, um, and we've got to figure out how to navigate it as a school like Fairfield for sure. Um, but this is just college basketball in 2022. That, I mean, by the time this broadcast we started and ended, there'll be 25 more <laughs> yeah, names in the portal. It's true. Um, that's that's where we're going. And I wanted to clarify, I said portal. I meant even transfers. You've been yeah. pretty good. Not many players have, have left your program. So this was a, uh, a little bit of a shock to people. But how, i got to ask you a question. How is How uncomfortable is it for you to know that these guys have come in and they're going to be leaving and you're seeing them walking around campus or you're seeing them in the gym? That's number one. Number two, you're a people person. Okay, um, so you had a feel that this was going to happen. Was there anyone that shocked you, telling you that you're they're entering the portal? I think probably AJ's more than any for sure. Um, uh, but you know, they, they, look, everybody's asked me about this. They're the good kids. This is I'm trying to wrap my head around. This is what we're going to college basketball is. It's difficult for me to being kind of an old school guy where we just kind of always grinded it out and stayed. It's just not the same anymore. So, uh, is it uncomfortable for me? They're good kids and, uh, it's their decision to make, uh, whether I agree with it or not. Uh, I hope they're making good decisions, but, but you know, that's for them and their families to, to figure out. But I have nothing against any of these guys. Uh, you know, Chris and AJ were here for four years, and in this day and age, that's probably as much as you're ever going to get a guy and expect them to take his, their fifth year somewhere else. I, I think all of college basketball, we're all junior college coaches now for the most part, that you're you're building teams and, and trying to look at it one to two years out because, uh, you know, you've got MVPs of leagues that are leaving. Our, I mean, I think there was f- close to 50 transfers just in the MAC alone, so... Uh, I, I don't, you know, it can't say I'm not hurt by some of it. That's not true. I'd be lying, but I, I, um, I'm not holding it against them or I understand that these decisions are being made and, and what's behind them. And, uh, I, I wish these guys the best. I really do. Uh, again, I, I'll mention again, I haven't coached in so long. I've become a little soft in terms of my feelings, but I tend to side with the kids these days. And I have a thing where I say for every one good thing somebody's hearing in their right I'm talking about the players in their right ear 10 people are telling them the wrong thing how much you think is driven by peer pressure and by quote-unquote misinformed people telling these kids what to do and where to go there's going to be a lot of mistakes in this portal um for sure there was last year I think when we started the season there might have been 400 players still in the portal that means 400 guys who put their name in and I don't know if I'm right or wrong I think it was around that number didn't even have a place to go so, you know, everybody thinks the grass is greener somewhere else. 
I say it is greener because it's usually fake grass, you know. Um, but there are different decisions. Sometimes the portal's a good thing. You know, it's it's a guy hasn't played much. Uh, he wants another chance. He wants to play more. He wants a different role, and everybody's good with it. Sometimes it works. It doesn't always not work, but a lot of times there are some bad decisions here that I think kids will look back on their career and regret. And some of the data just points to that. You know, it's not me saying that. The data will point to the fact that uh, a lot of the decisions that, that players make don't work to their benefit. But um, I wish these guys, I do. they're all really good kids, and, and I wish them the best. You uh, already told us that perhaps the one that surprised you the most was Alan Jean Rose. Uh, we get the sense, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that you that Chris Mido was just looking to use that final year of eligibility and, and maybe just check out uh, someone else and, and see how uh, how much more he can um, move forward. Makai Willis maybe just needed a, a change of scenery. T.J. Long, you know, a real contributor to this team last year, sixth uh, man of the year in the MAC. What was the conversation with him um, leading up to his decision to leave uh, Fairfield ultimately for uh, for Vermont? Yeah, TJ just came in and saw me during the break, and and uh, again, just thought he wanted he'd been here two years and wanted to try something different, and, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about his decision, what was behind it, and again, at the end of the day, uh, I want guys here who you you know who want be at Fairfield, and and uh, you know, I told him if if he thought he was going to be happier somewhere else, he should explore that, and I'm I'm glad he did. I'm happy for TJ. I hope he finds, uh, you know, John Beck is a great coach and they've got a good program up there. So uh, it's a really good place. So I'm happy TJ found a good spot for him and, and uh, we'll move on. And I wish, like I said, I wish TJ the best too. As you uh, negotiate the portal, if you could tell us what is the profile of the player you're looking for and if you could prioritize it positionally for us, what exactly are you looking for? We're talking about the portal. We haven't even talked about the recruiting trail just yet. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we're going to need some depth up front with Zach leaving and Chris in the portal and, and Makai gone. So, you know, front court depth is certainly something that we're really concentrating, concentrating on. And, um, you know, I'd like it, you know, we're thin obviously at the point guard spot. That's another position that we've looked at where really, you know, Caleb was the only guy who operated out of that spot. And then we moved to Ojo over a little bit last year, but we need certainly some depth there. And then, you know, we're going to take a guy who obviously at any time who we feel can move the needle for us as a difference maker, you know, and uh, we're dealing with a lot of those guys and those guys have a lot of options right now. It's kind of crazy. A kid will go on the portal and the next day he'll have 45 phone calls from people. So it's, it's just so different. So really front court depth, point guard, Bob, and then, you know, we are – Anybody on that list who can, we feel, really move the needle for us as a program. So there's 1,300 names in the portal right now. You're going to eliminate a bunch because they think or they maybe are too good. Then you're going to eliminate guys. You have four scholarships. Maybe you don't need that position. For those four positions, how many of those, how many, how many people are you recruiting? How many potential players are actually you can get into school? Well, it's 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 all those things, right? It's the academic profile, and it's the uh, you know they're either too good or or we don't think they're good enough. That's another big part of it. There's a lot of guys in that portal that literally average one point a game, no points a game, two points a game. That you're just sorting through to see, you know, they they just might not be good enough too. Um, 
could be a kid that's been in trouble before. So there's after your vetting is done, it's a small number. It's a small number that fit the profile of of Fairfield and what we're looking to do. I, I don't have an exact number, uh, but it's it's small. It's it's seventy five maybe. I don't I don't even know. I'm just trying to. It's smaller than pretty much everybody thinks. The delay. Oh pressing. my god! Yeah. yeah. This for and I say this all the time when we meet. There's not thirteen hundred names in the portal. No. There's there's seventy names in the portal, and that seventy, is, you know, then you you take the geographic part of it, right? You, most of these kids are if they are transferring will somewhat try and stay geographically to their home or something. So that eliminates a bunch of guys who are not. You know, if a kid's leaving a school and is from California, he's probably not coming to Fairfield. So there's all that part of it, too. Your conversation with these, uh, quote-unquote, recruits, these transfers, I'm sure one of the first things you're bringing up is the uh, the new arena, the Mahoney, the Leo Mahoney Center. How is that are, – are players aware of that? How is that helping? They are. It, you know, uh, facilities are important. They're always important. You know, we're also in this climate of NIL, which is is, you know – I said it's the perfect storm that I don't think anybody anticipated the transfer portal and NIL coming in at the same time. So those are conversations that we continue to, uh, you know, have with recruits and that type of thing. But, yeah, to answer your question, the facility has been great. It's it's an incredible building. Anytime we can get someone on campus and we obviously send them a lot of film on the building and the atmosphere that was here this year. But, um that shift has changed a little bit too. Uh, facilities are certainly still important, but a lot of these kids are are looking for other things too. And the other thing that uh, maybe a lot didn't anticipate was the impact that. Well, maybe I should think that through before I say it. When NIL came into existence, we knew there would be an impact, but we didn't know how it would be uh, applied. What schools would take advantage of it, which wouldn't be able to take advantage of it. So. Where does the NIL fit in terms of the Fairfield men's basketball experience? Well, we've got to be in the game, which we are. We've got a collective through Yoke that we started in February um, uh, that is supporting, you know, NIL. Uh, we've got to be active in that because if you're not, you've <laughs> really limited yourself, uh, especially with the portal. Uh, I mean, these are decisions that kids are making based on a lot of factors, and certainly NIL is a big part of that factor. Um, you know, there's some some players in that that, you, that you're just going to be, for lack of a better term, priced out of right away. And there's some that it won't come up, and there's some that it will come up. So uh, we do have an a organization in place. We've addressed that through the, our Yoke uh, partnership. It just became active in February during the season. Can you explain that? Some some of our listeners might not know exactly what the Yoke partnership is. So Yoke is uh, our NIL uh, branch. Um, it's an organization that had uh, we bought on uh, to uh, help us support NIL, where fans and and uh, donors can denote can donate directly to uh, the platform, and it's an interactive platform with our players that uh, they can make money for doing certain things, whether it's podcasts or uh, interactions with, with alums or boosters and that type of thing. So uh, it's unique in that sense. They uh, We were excited and still are to have them on board. Uh, they dealt mostly with football programs at the BCS level. We were the first basketball. Uh, it's three young guys who are super uh, smart and super uh, uh, got great energy. And it's, it, I think it's a good platform. We just got we just got to get it going, you know. So, um, you know, 
when Joe can make a huge donation, all his millions that he has to, to Yoke, we'll get the thing going. Yeah, so. I, I still got my first community. So. <laughs> um, we'll move on from the portal stuff after this, but let me wrap it up, this portion of it, by asking you how excited are you about the potential of some of the guys you are involved with through the portal, and when do you think, in terms of a, a timeline, things might start to break and we'll start to learn about some of the new Fairfield Stags. Yeah, I, I said this all along that, you know, um, certainly was a disappointing year, but I'm looking at this opportunity for us to take a step back and and uh, get into this portal and help us improve as a basketball team. So I'm excited about it, and I've uh, been excited about some of the young guys that I've talked to who are looking for some changes. I said the portal is like a little bit like dating for divorcees. Someone's broken up with me. Someone's broken up with you. Let's get together and and let's talk. We're both hurt. Uh, but um, I am excited about some of the guys that we've been able to talk to. Uh, we we've got we've had a couple in already. Hopefully, we'll have good news here on at least one in a couple days. Um, and then we've got more guys coming in over the next the next few weeks. So. That's kind of what we're looking at right now. Going to do a lightning round, if I may, with the returning players. And uh, lightning round being, I'm going to give you the name. You tell me uh, what you expect them to do in terms of improving their game and reaching the the goals that both you and the players set. Uh, let's start with Bryson Goodine. Got to get healthy. You know, that's that's um, you know that was an injury that I felt uh, hurt us last year. Bryson was starting to play better and right when he got hurt and you know if his trajectory was going to be what I thought it was probably would have been a, a pretty good uh pretty impactful guy for us especially on the perimeter when we were having trouble to score so he's got to get healthy got to get stronger got to get back to playing basketball um you know this is going to be year now for that Bryson really hasn't been on the court for any significant minutes so that's going to take some some, but his big thing right now is health. What's the time? Ta- what? What's the realistic expectation for when he actually is playing? You know, full out. End of the summer, game? I think. Mm-hmm. We're hoping. You know, uh, we're going to take a trip at the end of the summer. So, um, uh, I'm hoping that we could have him for that. But I'm. It'll be close. Let me take a detour or a trip yeah. at the end of the summer where you guys. Yeah, we uh, we haven't officially announced it, so I don't know what I can say about it. We're, we're, we're planning. Sure. We're planning on taking an uh, international trip, taking the team somewhere at the end of August. We're allowed to do those every four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the first year that we've got to do it here. Uh, I've done them in the past, and they're, they're just awesome experiences for our guys. Excellent. Good. Yeah. Uh, get back on track with the players. Let's uh, go with your um, All-Mac player, Supreme Cook. Yeah, I want him to be player of the year in the conference. That's where I think he's capable of doing, and, uh, you know, he's working his tail off there, trying to expand his game a little bit to do a little more, to move him a little further away from the basket. At the end of the day, he is, you know, the most dominant guy returning in the league around the basket. So we don't want to change that, but we want to, you know, add to his game a little bit and get him to make a few more free throws. But um, I expect him to complete for player of the year in the conference. Caleb Fields. Yeah, Caleb, um, we got it. You know, he was played a little banged up the, during the year. Uh, you know, he kind of had like three different seasons. He had the great start. He had the middle where he struggled and then finished strong. So the consistency part. Uh, he hasn't done much in the spring here with his back. He's trying to get himself healthy. We're going to kind of, you know, rest him here and get him 100%. And I think, too, the transition for him to the point guard spot full-time, 
you know, there were some really good moments and there were some moments where he struggled with that. But he's got that year under his belt now and we'll see him as, you know, a really good upper level starting point guard in our league and, and possibly an all conference guy. Jalen Leach. Yeah, Jalen, uh, you know, Jalen's biggest struggle just didn't shoot the ball great last year. Um, you know, we think he's a good shooter who struggled. Uh, if anything, the injuries with him have, he's lost a little pop that I think, again, that this summer will be big for him. But he had a good year. He's, he's uh, you know, it was a, a year for him where he's finally healthy for the most part from start to finish. So now he's just got to back that up. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping he has another good year for us. But he's got, you know, his his thing was he just didn't shoot the ball well from the from three. Uh, got to be more consistent from that, which I think he will. James Johns Jr. Yeah, James, you know, was a learning experience for him, you know, and, and I was trying to tell everybody he came in with this big re- ranking, and uh, he's a really talented guy and like James a lot. I think it was an eye-opener for him too. Um, so got to get stronger, got to get way more physical, which he's working hard in the weight room. Another guy that offensively consistency was was a huge factor for him. So just got to make that now, that progression from his freshman to sophomore year, and I think we'll see a big jump from him. And you have two red shirts and an incoming uh, freshman. Uh, the red shirts, Michael Rogan, Ant Davis. The uh, recruit is uh, Matt Curtis. Um, what contributions do you think they can bring? Yeah, the two red shirts, uh, that helped them a lot. Um, and honestly, the way, you know, we're shooting the ball at the year, especially with Mike, I probably, if he was available, probably would have played him some. Um, but Mike can really shoot it. He's very offensively gifted uh, and explosive athletically. Uh, so both those guys, the red shirt, really paid off. They, their bodies have, have really uh, changed and developed, so it was good for them. And and Matt's, you know, a combo guard who can come in. He's got really good IQ. Another guy who's, uh, you know, got some – ability to shoot the ball too so you know with all those guys uh just got to kind of figure it out i guess you know from 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 now let's uh, talk about the schedule and i know that's the proverbial work in progress and won't really know much about that out of conference schedule for a while but there have to be a few uh, return games uh why don't you break those down for us home and away yeah so we'll we'll get the home games back with wagner and with unh uh Sacred Heart and Yale will be on the road. Uh, those games, we're just trying to fix dates right now and move them around a little bit. We're obviously going to play some up games. Um, we would like to do those regionally if we could, Bob, rather than get on a plane like we did last year and have to go to Xavier and Wake. We, we always try regionally to get those games. They're just better for us, you know, certainly financially and from the wear and tear with travel. And then we're we're mulling over a bunch of MTEs right now just to see which fits best into our schedule because the MTs are important for us because they get us to 31 games as opposed to 29. So it's all in flux right now. And honestly, since the season ended and with the portal and we've been really just so focused on by, on building our roster, but uh, that's something that we certainly have to move on. Uh, and we got a bunch of different options with that. But it is safe to say there will be an MTE. You, those exempt. I'd be shocked if there isn't. It's just a matter of financially what what will fit into our and and then obviously the dates. But we always will look to play in one of those because we want to play 31 games instead of 29. Got to ask about the coaching staff. There's always flux in most programs with coaching staffs. Anybody coming? Anybody going? And uh, any any new any hot candidates for your new director of basketball operations with the great Jesus Cruz now. Uh, on to bigger and better things. Certainly, 
tough shoes to fill with Jesus gone. Um, got a couple guys with it that I've talked to. Not the the the, the, the staff dynamics are nobody's in the portal for the staff. So that's <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> But there are also some rule changes now with what you can do with your staff where you're allowed to have next year two more coaches on the floor. So in the past, that director of ops spot was limited to not being on the floor unless one of your other coaches was uh, away. Uh, now that's changed. So uh, And you're allowed actually two more guys on the floor every day in practice. So some of my thinking with that position uh, has changed a little bit too. So we're we're – kind of figuring that part out too and I've had some discussions with Paul Slickman our athletic director about you know those changes and what that means for us so um, hopefully uh, we'll get someone in here soon I certainly don't want to return any more camp emails from Fairville moms about <laughs> who they want to group with and and that type of stuff so we need some help for sure Joe uh, we could have covered so much more but we just have uh, so much time but I always hit this part of the podcast by asking you if you have any final words or thoughts. You know, I, I really don't. I think it was a good uh, good podcast and uh, certainly looking forward to the upcoming days, hopefully some new recruits. I, you know what? I, I had a coach say to me, boy, the Mac coaches must be really thrilled that Patino has left. And I said, I'll be honest with you, most of these coaches, especially Fairfield at this time, are worried about just getting together a team with all the transfers yeah. that are going I think the concern is just constructing a team you can put out on the court. So we mentioned that the portal has really taken over um, in a different way your time, uh, your postseason time. It just dominates it right yep, now. Yep, it's yep, it's yep. just, you know, when it's, it's not me, it's every coach, everybody I talk to, all my colleagues, we're just dominated by the portal. And uh, I don't know if it's going to change. I would hope that they would try and, fix it a little bit however they can be but uh you know this is this is where we're at well i got a question then why was this portal put in my first thought being a former coach more than more current than a former player is to help the coaches you didn't want players sneaking around your back finding out a week before the season that they were leaving so you had to enter this name your name but now like anything else it seems like it's opened up another can of worms and maybe become a monster that they didn't want it the NCAA didn't want it to be not sure anybody looked in the crystal ball and said this is what we want right now with this portal to have 1300 names in there and you know hurt retention graduation rates rates i don't think that anybody would have would have predicted it has gone as crazy as it as it did we were one of the few sports that didn't have you know the athletes had to sit out Basketball was one of the few that did. Uh, I think there was three or four sports where you had to sit out a year. So the argument was, well, if they don't have to do it in other sports, why should they do it in basketball? I just think it's taken on a new life where and, – and the other part of it is NIL coming in at the same time. Uh, so you have MVPs of leagues, who guys who are playing 30-something minutes, leaving to go to different schools and chasing money or chasing um, – that's not the case, our case, but – I do think that the portal for our league, uh, you know, we've, we're going to be a farm system for the high major teams. and um, You almost have to embrace it. Yeah. I, I said that that should be almost like part of our presentations. Come right. here come here for two years and, and we can get you to a high level. I mean, that? that's that's where we're at. And I'm not disagreeing with you because it's going to, you know, I, I think we all have to kind of wrap our heads around that. This is this, unless the rules change, this is where we're going to be at. Um you know, and you've seen, you know, the rookies of a year in our league have, have been 
for the most part, have all gone after one year. And, you know, um, Noah Thomason put his name in for the portal, and some of the better players in our league have now moved up. And they've had success when they've moved up. Some of them. Some of them have not either. So it's just the, again, I keep saying this new reality that we're living in, and we got to figure out the best way to navigate it as Fairfield University. Well, hearkening back to a simpler time, <laughs> I, have a, I have a couple of odds and ends. The first one harkens back to um, – that simpler time. Congratulations in order uh, for Joe and That's his 1977-78 right. Stags team. Uh, they're going to be enshrined in the Fairfield Athletics Hall of Fame on April 15th. I think that is a well-deserved honor. And I know you backed me up on that. Question. Yes, congratulations. And I'm looking forward to uh, meeting all the guys that night and uh, sharing some stories about you. Well, we have a great uh, great number of guys coming back, as we did for the opening of the Mahoney Center. It just kind of validates what this team is about, to get them all together. Mrs. Barricat, Florence Barricat's coming with a couple of her kids. Oh, great. So it's really going to be uh, a good night, and certainly a lot of people are looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> I've been around long enough to say that that team, I saw that team play often. They, they certainly passed the eye test, so it's a well-deserved honor. Congratulations, Joe. And I also yeah, want to send out best wishes to Gene uh, Doris, who was being enshrined into the Fairfield Athletic Hall of Fame on April 15th. Unfortunately for Gene, he's going to be there on crutches as he sustained a, um, a bad uh, quad injury. He fell uh, off of a curb uh, at the airport in Houston going to the Final Four and uh, underwent surgery as we're speaking to you guys now just yesterday. And he came through the surgery okay. He's got a long, long uh, stretch of physical therapy uh, staring at him. But he'll get through it. He's in good spirits. But I know you guys back me up on that, sending uh, Gene first congratulations on the Hall of Fame honor. No doubt. And uh, get well soon, Gene. Yeah, get well, Gene. Well, that'll do it for uh, this season's editions of uh, Open Court with Jay Young. And, Jay, um, I just want to say that we really appreciate the fact that, A, you give us this time. You don't have to do it. And, and B, uh, you're very forthright and, um, and honest with us. And that is not to be taken for granted in this profession. So I just wanted to make sure you knew that's how I felt. And I know you too, Joe. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for this, doing this all year and the support. And thanks for Ryan for doing it too. So you guys have been awesome. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting back and uh, doing our first one already for next year. Yeah, it won't be long. Our Final edition is this one, but uh, in less than six months, we will be right back at it. So we look forward to seeing all of you again then. So for Jay Young and for the Fairfield Hall of Famer, Joe DeSantis, and our great producer, Ryan Moynihan, I'm Bob Huesler. Thanks for listening all season long to Open Court with Jay Young. The Open Court Podcast is a presentation of Fairfield University Athletics. For future podcasts, videos, news, stats, and coverage of Fairfield Stags men's basketball, log on to fairfieldstags.com.